God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome back to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the zealous Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how you doing? Zealous! Oh my gosh! Well, I hope I'm zealous for the right things, because it's kind of ugly if you're, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot of zealous people in this world, Mm -hmm. and even zealous Christians, but not necessarily zealous for what we should be zealous (laughs) about. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit that right there. Yeah, that's good. Let let it be there and let the spirit do the convicting work, right? There you um go. you know, we this is our season finale, and so I figure we gotta jump all the way to the end of the alphabet, and I can't think of a whole lot of words to start with Z. So here we are with the zealous Lisa Spencer. I can't think of another one either. So you know what? Zealous it is. The zealous it is. Uh so Lisa. Um, we are heading into the summer. People won't be hearing from us for about three to four months or so. Um, you guys have any big summer plans? Oh boy, I am. Oh, uh, I have. We have travel coming up. I'm going to Chicago for my great aunt's ninetieth um, birthday party. Ninety. Um, yeah, so I'm doing that next week, and then um, I get to see my daughter and my son-in-law. They're leaving China after being there for three wow. years. And if you, as hard as it was navigating COVID, here, man, I can't even imagine. We had all kinds of freedoms having to endure. And, and I'm, and, and I don't use that word lightly. I mean, endure, I think, is actually a very polite word for it. Um, you know, most of their time in China. Thankfully, not Shanghai, um, but close to Shanghai. In fact, they have to leave out of the Shanghai airport, which is causing a different set of concerns, um, mm. just considering all of the protocols and things sure. that have been established to just to get places. Um, so it's it's a little tricky. Um, so our, I, I would ask our audience to, you know, please send up a prayer for them mm. that everything goes smoothly. Uh, but they're, they're set to come back to California for three weeks before they move to Brazil and go on to their next assignment. Um, So I will be flying out to California um, 4th of July weekend to see them. I haven't seen them since my wedding in 2019. Wow. So really, um, you know, I I mean, thank God we have technology Mm. and video and FaceTime and all of that. But, um, you know, just being able to see them and spend time with them. I'm looking forward to that. And then a couple weeks after that, I have the the things you do for love, right? Uh, I'm going to my husband's 50th high school reunion. Wow. 
Um, okay. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to gear myself up for this. To be it's honest, be a good time. You know, don't judge. Don't don't judge me. But you know, fifty. So do the math. Okay, fifty. Fifty years. Uh, graduated. Actually, it's fifty-one. Wow. Um, because they weren't able to have it last year. Uh, you graduated fifty-one years ago, and you're sitting around reliving high school. Like I'm. I'm trying to imagine the the kind of pleasure I would have taken that. I but mean, I'll make the best of it. I will make the best of it. Have you have you ever been to a high school reunion before? I have not. I Neither you know my fortieth reunion is going on this year and I'm not going to it. I probably should. But They're having one though? Yeah, we're having one. In Inglewood, California. It's been a minute since I was in high school. I don't think we've ever had a reunion. If we have, I never heard about it. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I just, it's it's not a thing you did out in the desert, I guess. Getting everybody to go back to the desert doesn't sound like a ton of fun. There's nothing out there. Yeah. Nowhere for anybody to stay. So, yeah. All right. Well, that is a full summer of traveling. So That is a full, and my dad's going to planning on coming out here. Wow. End of July, beginning of August. So, I have, okay. yeah, so I have a pretty pretty full, full summer. Full summer. All right. I am um, taking a little bit of a lighter summer this summer. We're going to try and get away for a week with the family, um, you know, while the kids are on summer vacation. But, you know, it's, it's uh, going to be a very busy season starting in September for me. A um, handful of projects I'm going to be involved in on top of my uh, pastoral ministry obligations and, and the work that I have there. And so I'm trying to take this summer, this is the last summer before my oldest daughter goes into junior high. Um, and so we're just going to kind of enjoy the summer together as a family, uh, take a couple things off the plate that I would ordinarily be doing, and just... Uh, lean into some family time this summer so i'm looking forward to that uh and that's a little bit uh, i'll be honest why i'm i'm excited that this is our season finale is this is um not only can i study up for next uh season but i can also spend that little bit of extra time with the family hanging out with them so looking forward to that um you know season four has been uh, an interesting one we've been um in this arena of systematic theology for a while now and, and applying the scriptures, um, applying systematic theology to the issues of our day. Um, and we are coming up, uh, and actually this is how we'll start season five, we're coming up on issues of sexuality and gender. Um, and and that was, so it was my idea to press pause and I, I need to do more reading and thinking about this before I'm willing to speak about it publicly. Um, because it's a really, really delicate topic, um, and I want to make sure that I speak well about it um, with with biblical conviction and also a compassionate heart, and so I need to figure out what that balance looks like before I speak. Um, but it is, a, it is a delicate topic, and it is, these are topics that, man, there's no forgiveness in any direction if you slightly misstep. It's a pretty it can be really uncomfortable. Either you're going to get smacked for being too compassionate, you're going to be smacked for being too uh, conservative and doctrinaire. Um, it's messy out there. So Lisa, when you think through kind of the climate around issues of, of sexuality, gender, um, what are some of the things that come to your mind? How do you navigate some of this? Right. Well, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head and just 
you know, just in terms of, on one hand, like we do want to be biblically faithful, right? We want to be faithful to what scripture says about, you know, our humanity. We want to be faithful about um, human sexuality. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately, that means, well, maybe not unfortunately, but that means sometimes, you know, you have to take, in my opinion, a definite stand. You know, like there, there's, there's really not a lot of gray area. Uh, I know like even in my denomination, when we talk about homosexuality, like nobody is affirming, you know, homosexual practice. You know, now what it comes down to is what do you do about those desires? But at the same time, like, you know, let me step back and, and put it in the broader context. And I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode we are at, in this very tense cultural moment where on one hand we have the church you know we have the church or segments of the church kind of you know rectifying how we've treated this issue in the past right in terms of you know devaluing and dehumanizing people in the interest of taking that biblical stand so there's a push against that I think that's a good push. But at the same time, in our broader culture, we have this just increasingly, and it's almost like rapidly increasingly, um, this acceptance. And it's not just acceptance, it's the expectation that you have to accept these positions. You have to accept same-sex marriage. You have to accept transgenderism i mean just look at what is going on with the you know with the the transgender people the you know males who are the biological males who are identifying as women and engaged in women's sports i mean even within the lgbtq community it's causing a lot of a lot of risks because sure. how do you how do you support women but then support this at the same time. You know, we're we're in Pride Month, right? Pride Month is, you know, if, if there's ever a mark on, hey, you need to get with this program, it's Pride Month. I mean, just look at what's going on with the corporations, right? This is the time, you know, corporations, they change their icons to the, you know, to the rainbow flag. Uh, I even saw a tweet uh, that the start of Pride Month from the United States Marine Corps of all branches, you know, just kind of yeah, basically cheering on Pride Month. And so we have this, there's this tension that puts pressure on, you know, us who want to maintain biblical fidelity and say, no, we believe this is wrong. We're not going to treat you unkind. We're not going to treat you with a lack of love, but at the same time, we want to take a stand. This, you know, this, this is, is not right. And I, especially for Christians who work in the secular environment, right, where there is this expectation of acceptance, right? Pressure to put pronouns on your, you know, on, in your email signature, um, you know, pressure to, you know, to buy in to, to this agenda. It's hard. And I don't care how nice, how winsome you are just taking the position of, I believe homosexuality is wrong. I believe 
transgenderism is wrong. Just taking that position, and you can say it as kind as you want to, is going to be perceived as hateful. It's, you know, you're going to be labeled a bigot. Um, you're going to be labeled unloving. And that's just the world that we live in. And so that creates a lot of attention, um, a lot of tension, especially when, you know, you want to be compassionate, right? You want to be loving, but at the same time, maintain those convictions. Yeah, you know, I, this has happened very quickly um, from a historic perspective uh, in the United States, right? So if you think back, um, 2008, President Obama runs on a traditional marriage platform. Um, the Ogberfell decision that made same-sex marriage legal across the country, that was only in 2015. The Caitlyn Jenner um, Vanity Fair magazine um, photo shoot and article where Bruce Jenner comes out as Caitlyn Jenner, that's also in 2015. This has been seven years. Right? We're, we're not talking a long time. And it has been so that that speaks to the rapid change that you're talking about. There, This has gone very quickly. Um, I believe the reason, one of the reasons, I, I doubt it's the only, but one of the primary reasons I think it's moved so quickly is because this is also um, the height of social media starting in 2015 and moving to today. And so mm-hmm. you're seeing um, much more information all at once and social media has an ability to transform public opinion in ways that older forms of media don't have. And, and they also have a way of, um, you know, getting into your own thought processes and morality as an individual in ways that older media forms don't have. And so, you know, I, I think that has added to it. Um, I think that's why we're seeing so many younger generations uh, or so many people in the younger generation starting to claim some labels that would have made no sense in, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Uh, when I was in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, we weren't even thinking about these things really. And, and now you have a lot of kids in those age groups who are labeling themselves alternative sexualities, different gender identities, stuff like that. And it, it does get very confusing, very difficult. Um, and I agree with you. It doesn't seem to matter how lovingly christians discuss the issue there's a rejection of anything that falls short of full affirmation full acceptance and um now that being said i do think that even though the world will still reject us it is still our responsibility to speak as winsomely and loving as possible about these issues even though it will ultimately end in uh rejection because I, I have seen some who, because they know the world will reject them no matter what, they have stopped to see, they have stopped seasoning their speech with salt when it comes to these issues because the thought process is, well, what does it matter? It's not going to work anyway, right? But it's not about working. It's not about it. That, that's not the first thing. The first thing about our speech and the way we speak of others is about glorifying God, not about it working in some practical way and so or being part of your personality well this is just the way i operate yeah let's not do that either i mean we have we we don't measure our speech against our personalities we measure them against scripture well the word of god commands and frankly 
some folks just need to work on their personalities. Like, I mean, that's just the case. Like, I'm sorry, but if your personality is you're known for being a jerk, um, then your personality should look in the mirror and open itself up to the work of the Holy Spirit so that you would be loving and kind and gentle. Um, there was a, a very interesting Twitter thread from John Frame not long ago um, that was speaking about the importance of gentleness as a... Um, as a hallmark of the pastoral office that, that I it's, saw that. That, yeah, was, that was excellent. It's, it's brilliant. And, it, and he's right. I think too many times pastors are um, given a pass for not being gentle because they're so precise in their exegetical work or um, they're excellent visionaries and leaders. But you know, that really stood out to me. I'm like, all right, gentleness needs to be a, a primary facet of how I engage with the flock. Um, Eugene Peterson wrote a series of letters to his son quite a few years ago. And I've, I've been, uh, well, the letters were written quite a few years ago. The book just came out a couple of years ago and I've been reading like one a day. They're short, but I don't want to, I've found that Eugene Peterson is not somebody that you binge. And um, he was saying in one of the letters I just read, how important it is for, for pastors to view other people as souls, that they are they are embodied souls. And when we treat folks as commodities, if we treat folks as special interest groups, if we if we treat folks as if they're solely um, sexual sexualities or gender identities, we lose that they are a soul who needs the love of Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to a pastor, but I think that, frankly, that shouldn't just be a pastoral way of seeing people. It should be a Christian way of seeing people. And that's where I struggle with Pride Month. Because Pride Month, for me, it really, it narrows people down to just their sexuality or just their gender. And and it, it forces us to only, cons like, the the entirety of your identity is where do you fall on the spectrum rather than sexuality being one facet of a multifaceted human being. I, I struggle with the way that pride month makes it all about sexuality. Like what it's human beings are, are so much more complex than that. And we are in a over sexualized culture, uh, a sexually saturated culture, really that has lost sight of the human beings and only views one another as walking sexualities or walking gender identities. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I pride month. I don't really know what to do with it personally. I'm like, I, you know, it's not, it's, it's homosexuality is sinful. Transgenderism is sinful. Yes. But the month itself bothers me for this other reason as well, because human beings are boiled down to just these couple of parts of who they are. And we've just spent an entire season looking at the complexity of what it means to be human and made in the image of God and, and how good it is to be human. And I feel like that we lose sight of that when we're talking about something like pride month. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, I, I guess, um, you know, I, I don't struggle with it. Because I see it as an emblem 
of a, a celebration of wickedness. I mean, and I know that sounds hard, but when I look at Romans 1, right, and Paul's description of what, you know, those who, you know, who deny the, the righteousness of God, um, you know, and I look at Pride Month and the celebration of the alternate sexualities, right? And I, to me, that that's a picture of Romans 1, and Paul ends that chapter talking about that it's not just the those who engage in you know in these lifestyles that are you know that are are subject to God's wrath where he says deserve to die but he said he says not only they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them and so there's a way to me, Pride Month, by endorsing Pride Month, what we're saying is, yes, I give approval for this. And it is a, and let, let's, let's, let's not mince words. It's a celebration, right? That's what Pride Month is about. And, you know, and so for me, I have to look at it, it's like, you know, should Christians have anything to do with Pride Month? Absolutely not. Um you know, do we speak against it? Do we, you know, go on, you know, put people on blast? I don't know about that, but at least, you know, at least take a stand, in my opinion, based on my convictions of scripture, it's, yeah, I, I will have nothing to do, nothing to do with this for this reason. That doesn't mean, because listen, I, you know, I, I have to work with people who are um who who identify as gay who are homosexual i treat them with dignity i treat them with respect but at the same time i you know that this is my stand um so it's you know like i said it's you know it, it's it's just it's just hard right now and i think we need to give that we need to give room for that tension yeah, I, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I don't think I, when I say I'm not sure what to do with it, I, I don't mean to imply I'm considering like taking part in Pride Month or anything like that. It, it's, that's not it. I think it's the, I, I have an aversion to Christian reactionism. Um, the, the way I'm seeing folks launch into Pride Month um, Christians launch into it in a very antagonistic way. I think the reason why I say I'm not sure what to do with it is that, for some reason, bothers me as much as Pride Month itself. Um, I, I don't like the hooping and hollering and like it does. It feels, it feels like Gaston telling everybody to grab the torches and pitchforks and go after the beast. And I don't want to ever be on Team Gaston. That's not a good place to be. And so I just, that's the piece where I'm like, I, I, I think the scriptures are clear. I don't, I still don't think we know how to talk about this well. And, and until we do, I really wish we would take a bit of a, we would have the humility to just be quiet for a second and, and not so much reassess our position. I think that's where some people may may think I'm going. I'm, I'm not saying we need to reassess our position. 
I think we need to consider our consider our words, weigh them. I think that um, you know, in an abundance of words, is it, sin lives in an abundance of words. Right, I'm paraphrasing a, a proverb there. Um, we're to be slow to slow to speak and quick to listen. And I do think that we really messed up in the way that we spoke about and treated folks in the LGBTQ community for a long time. I think that I think Christians do have fault in the way we treated other image bearers. I don't think that we need that means we need to embrace any kind of sinful lifestyle, but I do think we need to hear that criticism. And um, and so yeah, I think. I, I think as we're going through Pride Month this time, I I just I'm not liking any of it. I don't like Pride Month itself necessarily, but I really don't like the Christian response to it either. And so I'm left in this in between a little bit, um, where I do wish that Christians cared more about their winsomeness and, and instead of seeing winsomeness or nuance as weakness. I wish they saw that as actually the way to, um, the way to pursue the things of Christ, because the the principle itself isn't what's gray. The Christian principle can be black and white. That's that's fine. Homosexuality being a sin, Romans one and many other passages make that clear. Um, but when we apply a black and white principle into a very gray world, that does take a lot of wisdom, and I'm not. I'm not sure that a lot of folks are uh, using that wisdom all the time, personally. So I, I think that's where I'm just, I want to be cautious in how I speak, especially, you know, this is also not something, I, I have no context context for this. I don't know what it is um, to be a guy like Wesley Hill, for example, who is, um, I think he would identify as a gay Christian. I think that's the terminology he uses, but he per, he pursues a life of celibacy in a world and in a denomination that would encourage him not to practice celibacy. Um, I don't know what that's like. I, I don't know what it's like to have to, um, to feel like I am in the wrong body. I, I, that makes no sense to me personally. I've never experienced that. And so I just want to be, I want to be cautious in how I speak. Um, yeah. And in fairness, and in fairness, um, you know, going back to something I said a few minutes ago, um, you know, we talked about just where we are in our broader culture and how rapidly, you mentioned how rapidly everything has, you know, has gone on. Yeah, uh, huge shift. Sure the, yeah, so that's sure the, the trajectory that, yeah. you know, that we find ourselves on has... Um, you know, oh man, it's just, you're right. It's just, you know, happened so fast. Um, and there, you know, and so you have concerns about, you know, our, what's going on with our society, especially, especially when it comes to children, you know, and what are we, you know, what's going on in the school system, right? What, what are kids being taught about, you know, about the LGBTQ platform, about the acceptance. Um, and there's pressure all around. And so what I see is, I mean, yeah, on one hand, you have unwarranted 
right? We're, you know, God has not given us the spirit of fear, right? But of love and the power of a sound mind. That's what scripture says. But at the same time, there is a healthy fear, a fear born out of concern, right? So it's not the warning, oh my gosh, you know, the sky is falling. But at the same time, there's a concern that the the moral fiber of our society has so ruptured in such a quick, you know, quick amount of time. And it's, you know, and, and we feel that pressure. And so I, you know, I hear you. I, I do agree that we do have, you know, we do have to use, um, use our words wisely to handle these issues with delicacy, but at the same time with precision. Um, at the same time, you know, taking a stand. I'm, you know, I'm sorry, this is wrong, right? Right is right and wrong is wrong. And that's what I see going on. You know, there, there's, you know, the unwarranted fear, but then there, there's the concern um, of just the, the, the moral fabric of our society just really unraveling um, at a very rapid clip. And, you know, and, and having concern about that and particularly where it impacts you know, where it impacts children. Yeah, I, I, I can hear that. I think, so, you know, up here in New York, um, very, uh, very liberal state, um, you know, that I know that my kids, when they're in school, they're talking about Pride Month and stuff like that. Um, but I'll be honest, I don't think that the majority of the... Um, LGBTQ conversation is taking place because of curriculums or teachers. What I've seen with my own kids is that that conversation is happening um, on playgrounds. The kids are having these conversations amongst themselves because so many children are so exposed to a not just social media, but the entertainment world as a whole that has normalized this and encouraged it. And so that's where a lot of this comes from. Um, you know, and I, when I think personally of the, the bill down in Florida, you know, that was, uh, it wasn't called this, it got named by others that don't say gay bill. Um, I, I, I was frustrated by the existence of the bill in the first place. Cause I don't think it was doing anything. It was a, it was a presidential campaign showpiece. Um, and then the reaction to the bill was so overblown that I it blew my mind because really what the bill said is until third grade, we're just not going to talk about it. And um, yeah, I got a first grader right now. I don't think my first grader needs to be sitting in a class learning about alternative sexuality. She doesn't know what sexuality is. Um, and so uh, the, the bill made sense from a logical perspective, but it was, it was, it was political show theater and it, the reaction to it was political. It was all political theater. And so I, I don't know that the schools are my main concern when it comes to that. It's, it's a broader cultural shift that's taken place um, that our kids are growing up in. And even if the schools aren't talking about it, you could be, listen, if you're listening to us right now and you're in Mississippi and you think you're fine because the teachers aren't talking about it, um, you, you better have a conversation with the kids because even if your teachers aren't talking about it, your kids are 
because they have their their they're on playgrounds and they're having conversations amongst themselves at younger and younger ages about these topics. Um, and I also, I, I think the other place where, where maybe we're not quite in the same place, when I think about the moral fiber of the country, I just don't know of a time where it's not been ruptured. It, the moral fiber of the country has always been compromised from slavery through Jim Crow, through abortion, and now Ogberfell. Like, there hasn't been a time where the moral fiber of the country hasn't been ruptured somewhere severely. And when I think about the, the kind of the, the, if there is a moral fiber to the country that's still dissolving, I think this is a part of it. But I also, I look at the uptick in violence that we've seen. And that concerns me even more than than the sexuality thing because it, the sexuality conversation is something we've got to talk about. We've got to it's a concern, but the violence that's being visited upon children, as as well as upon adults, um, that that's the one that keeps me up at night a lot more. And um, and we have seen a rise in these shootings. I mean, we've got, um, you know, the gun prevention task force, they're, they're a nonprofit. They, um, you know, it's some more than 20 something mass shootings since the Evaldi, Texas shooting. Mm. Um, and now a mass shooting is any shooting where I think it's more than two individuals are, uh, targeted. Nonetheless, that's a lot, man. Like, when, when I heard about the shooting in the hospital in Tulsa, what I didn't know was that two days before that, there had been a shooting where one person had killed and six others had been injured at Memorial Day um, barbecue. Like, there is, there is certainly something broken in the soul of the United States that is manifesting itself, yes, through the, the sudden rise of the LGBTQ community, but also, and I'm more concerned about this, the sudden rise in violence that we've seen really over these last couple of years. And it is that blatant disregard. So while, while sexuality seems to collapse, uh, or the, 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 the sexuality conversation seems to collapse the image of God, and it seems to collapse what it means to be human into one facet of humanity, the the upright this uptick in violence it seeks to eradicate the image altogether it seeks to eradicate humanity altogether and yeah we we've we have such a low view of humanity now as a society that it's i am concerned about that yeah, and 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 I and I certainly didn't mean to suggest that you know there was this golden age of you know of of um you know of the United States because you I mean we did have slavery we had Jim Crow we had you know um, you know entrenched discrimination in the North so um, you know it even you know U.S. backed um, you know policies that result like urban renewal projects in the you know oh, the 50s yeah. and 60s oh, yeah. that you know upended 
um, you know, thriving black communities across the country. So I don't want to imply that I was I was thinking specifically of the, you know, the issues around sexuality. Mm, okay. You know, the issues around, I mean, this, this idea, like now we have to put pronouns, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm a her, like, do, do I need, like, we've gone on this long, not needing to say that. Why do we need to say it now? Right. The idea that, you know, that even children can decide which gender they are, like they can't even decide what's a healthy meal for themselves, right? And we're expecting them to decide what gender they are, right? And that because there's this there, there's this detachment from the biological reality. Um and so, you know, so that so when I so when I say, you know, the the moral fabric, I'm thinking, you know, the basis on which we you know in which in which we view humans. And I think you're right violent the you know what's going on with the violence is all part of that well and, and you know I'll, I'll take this to another hot button topic because i'm sure we haven't made enough people mad with this episode yet um you know I, I my wife works at a crisis pregnancy center and uh we're here in new york and so while while it's good that roe v wade is is probably weeks away from being overturned um that what that effectively does is it splits the United States in half. There will be pro-life states, pro-choice states, and those pro-choice states are um, really battening down the hatches, at least they are here in New York, and, and quickly trying to pass a bunch of bills to make sure that life is really difficult for a crisis pregnancy center or other kinds of mm -hmm. things. But But the reason why abortion came to mind was when you were talking about children being able to make decisions. Um... You know, you have these kids who are supposed to be able to decide what gender they are. The other thing that m um, my wife has encountered are kids who are left to make the decision around life by themselves. You know, there was a, uh, this is, the story was told in a public place, so I can tell it here. Um, there was a 15-year-old girl who came into the crisis pregnancy center with her mom. The girl's 15, she's like stone-faced clearly freaked out of her mind, uh, dead set on getting an abortion at 15. And the mom said, yeah, I'm not really sure what I think, but it's her decision. Mm. And I'm sitting there going, hold on. You can't let the 15-year-old make this decision. Like, I'm sorry, but if the girl can't decide whether or not she can join the military yet, if she can't decide whether or not she can drive a car yet because she's just not allowed, if then she shouldn't be allowed to make a decision about whether to have an abortion. But there is this, this um, something is happening where our kids are having to grow up so much quicker. They're making adult decisions with non-adult brains around things like gender identity, sexuality, whether or not you're going to have an abortion, the exposure to violence that our kids have experienced um, over the last three years is very, very damaging to them. Um, we do have difficult days ahead. Um, and so I wonder, with all of what we've been talking about, how can we as Christians best prepare ourselves um 
to to raise our families in the world, like not to run away from the world the way the Pharisees would want us to do, you know, and, and I mean that in the literal like New Testament sense of Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted separatism um, and Jesus rebukes that them for that repeatedly. Um, without ha- fleeing the world, how do we prepare to raise our families in a world like this and how do we function faithfully in a world like this? Yeah. And, and I think, well, you know, my kids are grown, so, <laughs> but That's I, true. and I do feel for. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> their, their, well, yeah, but keep in mind, I didn't have to deal with this stuff mm, with my kids. Mm, yeah. Um, You know, but now be just because of how quickly, you know, everything has changed. You know, I feel for, for parents of, of the school age children now, because you have to have those conversations. You have to lay down the premise and do so in a loving way, right? This is what we believe. Point to scripture. This is who we are as humans. Even, you know, taking what we have done in this season and, you know, the focus on humanity and the image of God and really reinforcing that with, with kids, you know, in a way that's not acrimonious towards, you know, we, you know, these people are evil, but evil does exist. Right. And so, you know, teach your kids about what it means to be human. Teach their kids about what happened in the fall. And that, you know, that results in, you know, wanting to go against what, what God designed. Right. Um, you know, and of course, all the while pointing to Christ. Right. Stop with the with the Bible moral stories like point to Christ. Right. Um, but I do, yeah, but I, I, but I think that that's, that's so important, um, you know, to have that, that consistent, constant presence because you're pushing against all of the pressure out there. Um, but we want to do so in a way that doesn't lose our humanity. Yeah, that's well said. And, and I think, you know, I would encourage parents to be proactive as well. Don't don't wait for them to come to you with the questions. I, I understand that it is uncomfortable, awkward to speak with your kids about sexuality, to speak with your kids. You know, you want to protect your kids from the violence that's in this world. These are natural things. But the reality is that your third, fourth, fifth grade kids are being exposed to conversations around sexuality. You've gotta, you've gotta be able to, you've gotta talk to them first. You've gotta bring this up and in, in age appropriate ways. Also, age appropriate, but also child appropriate. Like some kids are able to handle more earlier than others. You just gotta right. know your kids. You gotta be smart about it. But you know, I, I think we have to be proactive with our kids and talking about these things. Um, I think churches have to help prepare parents to do this. This is something I've been praying about and thinking about myself. Like, I don't know how well I, as a pastor, am equipping parents to have these conversations. And, um, you know, maybe the Sunday moment, Sunday morning pulpit isn't the right place, but there's there's other places within the life of the church to talk about some of these things. And, and that might be, you know, having some of these difficult conversations within the confines of the church could be really healthy for the people who are in the pews and so um you know we got to talk about these things we've we have to be 
honest with our kids about the world that they're living in. Um, raising our kids in some sort of Christian bubble is just going to be counterproductive. And, and so, um, you know, in the world, but not of the world is maybe getting harder right now than it, than it has before. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not for us, for us, because when you look at it from a global perspective, I mean, places that have it a whole Whole lot lot worse worse. than us. And even you look at historical perspective, right? I mean, look, you just have to look at the, at the new Testament, Mm -hmm. right. And what was going on in new, in the, you know, early new Testament times of what we see in scripture and the kind of, you know, um, you know, persecution under the Roman government, under, yeah. you know, certain emperors, not, you know, not all of them, but certainly there was, you know, there was persecution in those sure. first few centuries. So in relative to that, we've had it easy. And I think that's the thing, because if, if that gets to me, that gets back to the moral fiber piece. You know, there was always this sense of you know how do we operate as a society right even in our founding documents right there there are rights that have been given to us right sure right um by our creator there was acknowledgement of the creator there was acceptance of the bible as you know as the basis for how we operate it now we know that that was distorted right especially when you come to the issue of slavery but it was still looking to the Bible, even yeah. though there was malpractice. But now you say, look to the Bible and you're ridiculed. Like that's that's yeah. not what we need right now. You'll face hostility for looking to the Bible. And so that, you know, that has been, um, you know, just a major shift in our society. We've been comfortable. Right. We've been comfortable because Christianity has been so widely accepted. And now... It's not, and we have to live with that. But I think looking from a historical perspective and a global perspective will help us. I think that's a really good word. And uh, so, yeah, amen to that. Lisa, this has been a heck of a season. A lot of things have happened over the last few months we've been recording this season. Um, I wonder, as you think back over the season and you look ahead uh, to what we're going to do next year, any any last words for the audience to say uh, goodbye and thank you? You know, just stay faithful. Just know that God is sovereign. Um, And regardless of what's going on in our world, nothing is taking him by surprise. Um, Everything is marching towards consummation, even though that marching will look harder in a lot of ways. Um, Jesus has us in his grip. For those that belong to him. That's what we have to stay mindful of. And stay faithful to what that means. Regardless of what's going on around us. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for being with us for season four. We'll be back in a few months with season five. And uh, yeah, going to be talking about sexuality and gender. But we're also going to be using this to move us towards uh, the next section of systematic theology, Christology. And we'll be talking about Christology and we'll be applying the insights of Christology uh, to the issues of our day. And so that's next season. Until then, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time here at Family Discussion.
Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. Thank you.